0: it's probably that you made a mistake and now you don't trust yourself. And that trickles into other ways in which you might not trust yourself. And so you have to learn to trust yourself again. Man, what if we were all just like doing what felt good to feel alive? Like, what do you need to go do to feel alive? I am here to tell you that you deserve to fulfill your big dreams and you were born worthy of having it. So my challenge to you is to go start chasing joy.
1: Welcome to the Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jess. I'm the creator of this podcast. I'm a women's career and leadership coach, and I work in the nine-to-five world as well as a corporate strategist, and I'm so excited to have you here. This is such a good conversation. I am talking to Rayla Bailey. She's an executive coach. She's also had her own nine to five career. And this is one of those like long winding conversations. Feels like you're going into a wormhole, but a good kind of wormhole, not a bad kind of wormhole. And I have to say that one of my favorite parts is when we talk about play and she talks about chasing joy and fulfillment. And it was so much fun to explore that topic because, you know, myself included, we spend so much time thinking about being high performers and doing great in our roles and all of those types of things. But it's so important also to talk about play and pleasure and enjoying ourselves. And I actually believe that play and pleasure and those really good feelings are a portal to confidence. I believe that confidence and play, they're not the same thing, but I do think that they have a shared energy. And so I think that they're really important to talk about and look at. (laughs) Playing is as important as doing good work. And helps you feel confident. So I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. Quick announcement that next month I'm going to be doing some video trainings in the free Facebook group. I'm going to be focused on presence in meetings and specifically how to deal with nerves or shakiness or stage fright when it comes to meetings. If that's something that you're working on, definitely come join the group. I will link it below, it's a free Facebook group. And I'm excited to walk you through some of the things that have worked for me, some of the things that I do with my clients when it comes to helping you process nerves and feeling scared to either participate in a meeting or to share your work in front of a group of people. I know that can be very nerve-wracking. Trust me, I know. There's for sure like a long personal essay that I'm going to write about my stage, right? But like, it's gonna be <laughs> such a long, deep piece of writing that I, I haven't even tried to tackle it yet. But it's something that I've dealt with quite a lot. I've really struggled through. And if it's something that is coming up for you, I would love to help you with it. So if you would like my help, and if you would like to watch some of those videos, which I will be doing, throughout the month of February, definitely come into the private Facebook group. I'll link it below. And with that, it's now time for this conversation. It's such a good one. It's so good. I'm so excited for you to meet Rayla. So let's get started. Thank you so
0: much for having me. I am Rayla Bailey, and I help ambitious professionals get clear, confident, and fearless in the pursuit of their dreams. My official title is executive coach.
1: Wonderful. And we talk a lot about early careers and I wanted to go back to your nine to five career and hear a little bit about that and what was hard for you at the very beginning of it.
0: Yeah, so going out into the real world during an economic downturn in the economy, it was less about what you want to do and more about what you get to do. I just read an article recently that talked about the older millennials and how we're so used to working so much harder than you should have to work to just get a chance because of how we started our careers. Um, which is definitely why burnout is so prevalent in our generation. So essentially, you know, burnout is doing too much of the wrong things. So what I do is help people redirect and do more of what they want to be doing. So that was definitely the challenge starting out in my career.
1: And a lot of women who listen to this show are building confidence and building a stronger sense of themselves so that in the workplace they can bring more of that out. Do you relate to that journey, especially In the nine-to-five portion of your career?
0: Yeah, um, I think so. I think that confidence is one of those kind of universal things, whether you work for yourself or whether you're in corporate, that we should always be working on. I was really fortunate to have parents kind of speak into me and instill confidence um, when I was younger. And a lot of people that come to me didn't have that. Um, So I tried to really, you know, hype my clients up. And I think that it's something that um, we should always be talking about learning new ways to build confidence and speaking to each other.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to go even deeper into that because confidence is such an interesting topic to me. I feel like it it's the simple word, but it means so many things and it's so deep. And so I'm curious how your relationship with confidence evolved from, you know, the start of your nine to five career into the early years of that. Did you become more confident as time went on?
0: Um so yes, but definitely in different ways. So I think so my number one strength finder is self-assurance. And it's really rare and that could be a blessing and a curse, right? So I have to really check myself to make sure that it stays a strength and doesn't kind of veer into that weakness column and become, you know, detrimental. So The evolution, I would say, is really recognizing ego versus confidence, and I think that that's something that comes with a lot of awareness um, about who you are, what you stand for, what's the difference between confidence and cockiness and ego. So I think in corporate, as you gain more experience, you naturally become more confident as you speak up and learn your way. So I think it's really interesting. Confidence could look different for someone who's been in an organization for 20 years versus someone who has hopped around. Because if you've been in an organization for 20 years, you've learned the culture, you've learned your job, you've learned how to... Um, get away with things. And by that, I mean, you know, you know how to kind of do your job. It doesn't probably take you eight hours a day to do your job um, at that point. Versus if you switch jobs every three years, you're kind of going through that cycle again of learning the culture, learning your job, um, showing that you're a self starter, et cetera. And so it's almost like this roller coaster, if you will, of confidence in the organization, if that makes sense. So I think that it really depends on where you are in your career. Um, but I think that it really is important to be doing things outside of work to make sure that you don't just get your confidence from the workplace because not all workplaces are created equal (laughs) and I don't think that that's the best place. I think that confidence comes from the work that you do outside of work. And then the work that you do in the workplace is a result of that work. So taking care of yourself and being of service to others, being even just a good friend, knowing who you are, knowing your worth, all of that allows you to bring your best self to work.
1: You said so many interesting things that I wanted to touch on even more. The first one was just the idea of ego versus confidence. And I'd be really curious to get your perspective on this. For me, as I've gotten older and matured and changed and evolved, I become more open to the vulnerable side of confidence and almost like the darker side of confidence in a way where I I think I used to have a very controlling perspective where it's all about high performance, doing really well. And of course, those things can be satisfying and fun, but I've also become much more interested in what it means to like be with your darker sides of yourself and to be struggling and to show up for yourself even when you're not great at what you do. So I'd just be curious to get your thoughts on kind of the vulnerability piece of the confidence equation and sort of that willingness to have your own back even when you're struggling and confidence coming from facing You know, facing those difficulties head on and still kind of, still loving yourself through that when things get hard.
0: Yes, so good. So I love vulnerability um, and talking about it. Brene, a big fan of Brene Brown, who's really you know on the front lines of talking about it in terms of bringing it at the forefront of our societal conversations. Vulnerability, I think, is relative. So. If we're talking about women being vulnerable versus men being vulnerable, it's going to look different. If we're talking about vulnerability, like you and I talking on this podcast versus me being vulnerable in a meeting at work, it's going to look different. So I would say, you know, a lot of what I do with clients is make is defining things. So what does vulnerability look like for you and how can you, confidently be vulnerable everywhere so that you can bring your full self everywhere. So you don't have to be vulnerable in these different siloed pockets of your life. When a major thing that you said, or like a, a like ping that you said was awareness. And I think just being aware of how you're being vulnerable. It's not always like, for example, social media right now, it's like, if you're not wearing makeup or like, look how messy my house is. And it's like, you know, is that really you being vulnerable? And I think for some people, maybe that is, you know, for them, they want to appear to be very put together because that was their conditioning and how they grew up. So for them, showing you their messy house is like a really big deal, right? And and putting that on the internet. And then for some people, it is BS, right? So we can't always be so uh, judgy of others. I mean, I could go on a tangent on that alone, but... <laughs> So, I think defining kind of what vulnerability is for you. So, for me, it is being confident that being vulnerable is okay. If some, if it makes somebody else comfortable, that's uncomfortable, that's just where they are in their journey. And so, having the awareness of when it's too much and when it's not. So that awareness piece. So to me, it's defining what that looks like. That's telling a little bit about, you know, in the workplace I'll talk about my husband or my personal life, or like, you know, your cat just walked across the screen. That's fun, right? So, you know, just a little peek into life. And then that, you can see how that makes some people really uncomfortable. Like in a professional setting, they would never talk about their partner or their animals or whatever. And so I feel comfortable with that. And to somebody else that will look different. So I'd say... Define what vulnerability looks like for you in different scenarios, and try to keep it as consistent as you, as you can. And then to just be confident in that, and it, and the vulnerability will make other people comfortable or uncomfortable, and that's up to them.
1: And on the flip side of that, too, I think there's something to be said for not everyone deserves all of us. Mm, not you know, yeah.
0: totally, absolutely, yeah. I'm a very private person. <laughs> I'm very, very private. And having an online business, for example, has been really challenging for me because in 2020, that's just what you do is share more of your personal life and a peek into how you work and all the things. And so that has been a space for me to be more open and kind of explore why that makes me uncomfortable. I need to have awareness around why do I feel the need to be so private, which is totally fine. But understanding why I think is really significant. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree with you, especially right now, with just podcasts and social media and all the things that are peeking into our lives.
1: I feel that so much, especially I think it depends. You know, everyone has a different personality and I don't know. If you relate to this at all, but I think I'm a I feel things very deeply sometimes. And sometimes it feels real my inner world is so like vivid and sometimes it's dark and intense. So it just sharing those parts of me can feel so scary. I do
0: relate to that because a new discovery for me is that I'm an empath. And so I'm talking to a friend and I'm I'm talking like Everything makes me cry, like, especially if it has to do with animals or is my trigger. So, like, full on sobbing, hysterical. Like, and my husband was just like, Are you, you know, he knows you're, stop watching animal videos, you know, <laughs> dogs being rescued. And so I, I was telling a friend that she's like, I think you're an empath. I'm like, What is that? Like, tell me about that. So, I totally relate. You know, you take on other people's emotions, which is very challenging as a coach take on other people's emotions and like you feel things deeply and I don't know what's going on with the stars and the moon and astrology or whatever, but I think a lot of people are feeling a lot more right now. So yeah, I think just being open to the feelings, like feel the feels, embrace that.
1: And I think something that doesn't get talked about enough, but has been very important in my evolution, especially professionally is, you know, When we are trying to bring out more of ourselves at work, we are trying to build confidence. We are trying to deepen vulnerability as an engine to confidence. I think there's something to be said about pacing Mm -hmm. and having the courage to go slow and not everything we have to ram at it head on and go so fast and make really quick progress. We have to respect respect our fears and respect p- our, perhaps our desire and need to move slow. I'm so curious to get your perspective on that.
0: Slowing down is so profound. And I'm like pausing for effect. Slowing down is so profound. Um, that's, I'd say a huge thing that I work with clients on I'm like you're gonna You're not gonna like me maybe for the first because I'm gonna have you slow down and become really aware we're just used to like go 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 an account that i love on social media right now is the nap ministry and she's all about like resting and it's like just whatever you're doing right now just go take a nap <laughs> it's like you are allowed you've done enough today what i was talking about earlier with the millennials and in, in burnout it's like yeah you probably have done done enough today we're doing this podcast on a saturday you know what i mean and like having so much fun doing it because it's very normal to us to just be doing all the things at all times. So, yeah, I highly recommend the slowing down and taking account of your behaviors and making sure that you, you know, rest and take care of yourself.
1: And you talked about the distinction between being at a company for a really long time versus being newer. And that made me think about how sometimes when we're being hard on ourselves, we, conveniently forget all of the different challenges that we might be dealing with. So for example, I know when I'm newer in a role, I know logically, oh, this is going to be harder, but my brain just keeps forgetting. And so that the self-criticism goes up and up and up, because while that's true, there is this adjustment period. It can be hard to remember and come back to the fact that it's normal for for this to be hard. Is there anything that you like to do with clients or just any personal perspectives you have on bringing ourselves back to give ourselves credit (laughs) for the situation, you know, and see it more objectively.
0: Yes. I love this. It's like you are in my mind. So this is something, this is an exercise that I want your audience to do. It's so big. It seems so simple, but it's so, so big. It's the first exercise that I do with every client. And so it's writing down your credibility And so when you see it on paper, people forget all the things that they do. So write down everything. Went to school, graduated high school, didn't graduate, went back, got my GED. What all went into that? Went to college, got a master's, all the things that you did for education. You might have been going through your parents' divorce and also still graduated high school with honors. Big deal. You know what I mean? Go through all the things. So we're going to go through education and then your experience And it's like, man, it really was hard getting that one job. We forget, right? When we've been on the job for five years, what all networking and resume writing and the hard things we had to do to get the job. So go through the jobs that you've had and gotten and how you got them and getting promoted and the the challenges that you faced. You had to navigate that one person that hated you for no reason. You know, just all the stuff that we forget over time. And then also write down the ways in which you're of service in your community, you forget because you've been on that board for three years. You forget because you've been working for, you know, ten years with this kid from Boys and Girls Club. And so you forget that that's a profound thing that takes a lot of brain space, energy, time and resources. So all the ways that you're of servicing your community. Do you go to church? Do you go to the you know volunteer at the food bank? Every you've never missed a Thanksgiving, passing out meals, whatever that is, write that down as well. And then write down some of the ups and downs. Divorce marriage, moving. They always talk about these big things. I love working with a client who's like, and we're moving and this, they have all these things going on. And I'm like, whoa, 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 all that is enough to just take somebody out. Like take one of those things by themselves. And that's enough to take somebody out. And you're doing a lot. You're doing three of the five major life things. Right. And so we just kind of, you know, my clients are ambitious, driven, Hardworking, working burnt, burnt-out people, right? So you forget all the stuff that you do. So write down those ups and downs that you've navigated. Not every move is easy. Your dog died while you also had a project at work, well, whatever, so you get the point. And so do that kind of timeline of your life relationships we forget that the relationship that was good or bad is going on while we we're also working while we we're also still serving on the board while we were also still moving and doing all the things right so write down all those things next to each other and hopefully that list you go I'm the shit I can do anything <laughs> you know and so it allows you to see on paper which most people don't have that the Closest thing you have that to that is your LinkedIn resume or or your LinkedIn profile or resume, but it's not including life things as well, right? I was also get you know applying for jobs while you know I was having a huge falling out with my best friend from kindergarten, and I was like crying every night over that, but still had to like wake up and have my shit together for these interviews or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Um, and so write all that stuff down it takes a toll on us, and we don't know. That's a really big exercise. You can revert back to that. So that's one of the first things that we do. And so it'll be like six months into coaching. I'm like, okay, we're, you know, and then we'll add to it. It's like, add that to your street cred list. Or when there's a little bit of doubt, it's like, do you remember what all you told me you did, you know, regarding this topic? Remember? So this little thing we're dealing with now seems big, but it seems like you've kind of overcome that three or four times now. So why are we freaking out? Or whatever it is. And so it allows you to... To see that, I think it's a fun exercise to do with friends as well. I usually challenge a person. Okay, so this is all the stuff you could think of. Now go ask your partner or like your best friend that's not, and they'll be able to add stuff. They'll be like, "Girl, remember when you were taking the CFA test?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, oh my god, the CFA or whatever, you know? <laughs> remember that and you were so stressed out and whatever I was trying to get you to come brunch and you like wouldn't." And so, you know, it's a fun exercise to do with friends that have known each other for a while to go to remind each other, add more stuff that you've done and more reasons you're awesome. And remember, like you had just moved, but you found a way to like bake the thing for the thing. Remember, and everyone was freaking out about how good that cake was. Write it all down. I want it all down. I want you to have like almost a notebook full of stuff that you've done.
1: You know, it's so interesting that made me think about how sometimes I think it can be hard for women to see their own strengths. And mm-hmm. like we could so easily become blinded to not just like a uh, strength, but something that we're very good at. We can't see it at all. And that really made me think about too how I think sometimes. People don't see the connection and they think that if they've accomplished something outside work or if they have some strength in their life, it has no application, no relevance, and it's not coming up in the workplace. And they fail to see – I don't know, like when you talked about like, oh, you moved and like you still baked the thing and like you still showed up, like – that person follows through. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. person has like a level of grit and like they're staying with it and a level of commitment. And there's no way that that's not showing up for them professionally. And when you can see those things more clearly, it can really get you out of the funk of like, oh, I'm not good at my job or I'm not good at this. It's like there's so much that you're not seeing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know why women do that. (laughs) Men walk around. It's so funny. I mean, I have male clients too. The men tend to walk around with just this air of confidence, um, for whatever reason. So yeah, I don't know why we do that, but I think, you know, that is why it's fun to remind our friends and kind of be the hype woman for each other to go. It's like, Oh, I'm not doing all the things. And it's like, girl, didn't you just do the so-and-so thing? Go rest. (laughs) Didn't I tell you to go follow nap ministry? You need to go take a nap. You've done enough. You've done enough. Yeah, I think it's important for us to remind each other like, okay, Jessica, you did a whole podcast on Saturday. Tomorrow, what are you going to do, girl? I hope you're resting and napping because don't you have to, go to work on Monday? So, I need you to rest. What are you doing for fun and play, you know? And we have to remind ourselves and each other to yeah. for play and rest and have fun. But yeah, I love that exercise. That's like my that's my go-to and we use it consistently and um, then clients get in the habit of reverting they're like oh yeah oh yeah I'll go check my street cred list you know
1: <laughs> it's so weird how our brains don't always show us the truth mm. and what our brains are showing us always feels so real and true you know and that's why it's like you know when you're I'm sure you do this for your clients as a coach and sometimes when I'm being coached also these moments are so, potent when the coach points something out to the client that is objectively true and the client is so in their subjective experience that they just have this moment of first it's like dissonance and it's like you know what you're saying can't be true I haven't accomplished these things and then all of a sudden your brain is like wait no no I have and you have this shift in perspective that stays with you
0: yeah so I love that because I have a client that's in the habit of saying and I'm dying because I'm like, it would be so funny if she listened to this. And then was like, I know you're talking to me. She is in the habit of saying, I don't know. It's just like a, a reaction that comes out so fast. And so part of awareness for her is, okay, so we know that you know, there's just some facts, right? So what happens is you say, I don't know. And then you talk you keep talking and then you do. In fact, now it's usually the sentence after, I don't know that is a very significant knowing. So let's stop saying we don't know when we know. Right. So you're, you're, you're <laughs> it's like your brain's like, Oh, I don't know. You keep talking. You, you definitely know for sure. Right. And so why do we, why do you react that way? Why is that something that comes out so easily? Why do you feel you don't know? There's something there, right. That has to do with confidence. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, I don't know, and and vulnerability, I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't know, as kind of my blanket statement. And then if I get to it, great. But if not, I've kind of saved myself by already saying I don't know, right? And so, so it's my job to go, okay, well, let's get you in the habit of knowing and the knowing sentence comes first. So you're not allowed for the rest of this hour session to say, I don't know, because you've shown me over time that you do know it'd be one thing if you genuinely didn't know and we have to bring you to a different kind of awareness. But you do know.
1: Yeah, it sometimes I think it can be a lack of trust in our mm-hmm. instincts yes. that you turn it off. And also with like our brain telling us these things about ourselves that aren't true. It reminds me of like when you're little and, you know, they say like, don't accept candy from a stranger. Like, don't go into the van. Sometimes I think of my brain as like the sketchy stranger offering (laughs) me candy from the van being like, you don't know the answer. You're not good at this, you know? And it's like, you got to treat those thoughts that way. Like you can't. You can't stay in your subjective reality and cling on to it forever and hope to change. You have to be willing and open to shifting. But I'm, uh, of course, I'm sure you see this with people. That does take time.
0: Yeah, so tapping into your intuition is a significant part of the work that we do. You know, it's all in a web, in a web together. And it's all connected. So being able to trust yourself, it's probably that you made a mistake or more than one mistake and now you don't trust yourself and that trickles into other ways in which you might not trust yourself and so you have to learn to trust yourself again we were born with a trust of ourselves and we were born with a knowing and through conditioning over time and and school and parenting etc 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 we push that down for almost survival right And so we have to get back into the habit of assuring ourselves that we do in fact know we can protect ourselves. We know right from wrong. We know what we want. We know what we need. We can ask for it. So tapping into your intuition and trusting yourself is a lot of the work that I do with clients for sure.
1: And I think it's so needed too if someone is wanting to advance into leadership roles professionally and things like that, because it's almost a direct proportional increase of as you have more leadership, rather than receiving direction, you are giving direction. And I feel like that requires a couple things, trust and also courage to be able to put out direction and ideas. And I think those two things take time to build and it's not, it's not something that everyone automatically has. And that's totally normal. And I think about it as something that you practice in little steps, just like you would practice learning an instrument or a new sport. You can practice being courageous and trusting yourself. And I'd be curious if you have thoughts for someone who's wanting to do that more. Are there little things that that person can do to start building those muscles? Yes. You're asking
0: me all the questions that I love
1: answering that I've probably never been asked before, Jessica.
0: Yay. Um, Yes. So as you're talking, how do you go from mentee to mentor? How do you go from being led to leader? Usually when you are the mentee or you're being led, whenever you're going to make a big decision or do something big, make a change, make a decision about anything really, you have to go ask all these people their opinion what do you think and how did you do it? And you have to Google it and find other people that did it. And you're doing all this research and due diligence and you got to sit down with every mentor and sponsor you've ever known and get their opinion and then think about it some more. And so the way that you shift is to stop asking other people what you should be doing because you know what you want to do. You're looking for validation for whatever reason that we need that. So the way to step into leadership and to step into mentorship is to stop looking around. So we find as we get older and have more experience and meet people in higher positions, nobody knows what the hell they're doing, you know, big picture, right? (laughs) For the most part, nobody knows what they're doing, or at least nobody feels like they know what they're doing, right? And so everyone's just kind of like figuring it out as they go, faking it till they make it, which I could go on a tangent about that. I don't believe in that to make it till you make it. Um, but everyone is kind of just doing their best, right? And so stop asking other people who also don't know, who also haven't been there in the way that you're going to be there because you're unique and your path is unique. So just start making the decisions and doing what you think is best. And you might make a mistake, but that's such as life. It's best to go make a mistake and learn from it and pivot than it is to maybe not make the pivot to begin with because you got advice that you shouldn't do something. You know, one of my favorite podcasts is um, Guy Raz on NPR, How I Built This, and you hear these stories of entrepreneurs that built these big companies, and I'd say most of the time, people were against their idea or were telling them they should do it a different way, and they did it the way that they felt it should be done. Sophia Maruso, the founder of Girlbots, um, she she since sold the company, but she credits the bankruptcy of her first company and some other things happening. I mean, there's a lot of different factors, right? But she talks about how one of the biggest things was I knew what I wanted to do and I knew what felt right. And I knew to listen to my intuition, but I hadn't done it. And who was I to know the things? So I hired smarter, quote unquote, smarter people with more experience who had done it before. And that's when things went south and I should have just listened to myself and directed my company and my staff and the way that I felt was good for me and my business. And so there's so many examples of just do the thing that feels right. And you don't have to look outside yourself for the right answer or the path forward. So I think the quickest way to step into leadership or to kind of pivot from that mentee to mentor role is to just mentor, mentor yourself, just lead. Stop asking for answers outside of yourself.
1: Oh my gosh, it's true. And it's such a tempting trap to fall into. The allure of someone else telling you what to do is so intoxicating and can be so powerful. And I I can speak from my personal experience that shifting out of wanting answers from other people has been a process. It wasn't a single thing And depending on what context I'm in, it can be harder or easier to do that. But I think regardless of someone's tenure or seniority in um, a nine to five setting, there is always leeway in your role to begin making independent decisions Mm -hmm. and begin listening to your intuition. And I think I'd be curious your thoughts. I think a good first step can be just identifying the places where you have decision power and you're assuming that you don't and that someone else needs to tell you what to do.
0: I'd say most people that are decision makers and organizations love a self-starter. Even the micromanager loves a self-starter. They're micromanaging because of their own stuff they need to get over. But some of the times it's because their team just hasn't done what they need to do to show them that they can take their you know foot off the gas micromanaging. And so I think identifying where you can show up or bring a new idea to the table and just do it. I had a really wonderful conversation with someone recently who is a director at her organization. And part of her path was she's transitioning her company to working more remotely. And she started a pilot program Um, at the organization where other companies, it's been so great. Other companies have modeled their program off of her companies. And it was not at a time where people were working remotely. So she was like, I want to do this. I think this would be better. She had to go get all the data. She basically went to her boss and they were like, no, you know, I don't know. We like people being in in the office, et cetera. And she just felt so strongly about this that she went and basically made a presentation met with an organization, it's some like legit organization that helps you work remotely, like that's what they do. She became a member of this organization, met with people in the, that organization and asked for their data, asked them to come speak to her company, to set up a meeting on her own for somebody that has the credentials and the data and the facts, that's not hard to come speak at her company. And she put together her own presentation of all the benefits and cost savings, how it applied to their organization and how it's going to be better. For people to just work two days a week um, from home and she put together this presentation went to her boss with the presentation said I even have this backup person that is open to come speak to you and that sold the person and they said okay well I'm sold but you need to get HR on board which was right right it was just like oh no <laughs> But by point of that, you don't have to hear the whole, you know, how that paid out. But the point of that, I mean, she since implemented it within the organization. And that really set them up for now um, when everyone's working more remotely. But my point of that is she was just like, this is something I want to do. I see it, this is what I want to do for myself. And I think that it will benefit everybody else. So I'm going to go collect the data. And this is not something she's getting paid to do. Not only is she not getting paid to do as an extra project, but so she has to like work on nights and weekends, putting this together and networking and doing this side job outside of her job, which I'm assuming means she's really be crushing it in her day job already, right? You have to be crushing it in your day job to go bring this other thing. So I would say step one, crush it already in the thing that you're already doing and make sure that you're exceeding expectations before you go do extra stuff, right? So while while managers and decision makers love a self-starter that's gonna bring them new stuff, it doesn't want to be like, okay, well, that's great, but like can you did you do the report that I asked you to turn in last week? So just make sure you're getting your regular job done before you do anything extra, exceed that. And then just Come up with what you want, you know, find, identify a project and build a presentation, get more uh, internal employees on board. You know, it always helps if you have more people, you've identified key stakeholders, you know, that are on board that support it. And then just bring the data, the facts or whatever it is. So just take initiative and be a self-starter and show that you're capable of doing more. And I think that even if somebody tells you no, they know that you're capable of doing that. And that speaks volumes.
1: Mm, I fully agree. And I think, first of all, that quality is golden. It's that... like trusting your instinct that you're getting and following through and not waiting for some gatekeeper permission to move forward. And to your point about like crush it in your role first and then add on more, I think what you're talking about to that mentality could also just be applied to your core work and your core responsibilities simply by keeping your eyes peeled, trusting your instincts. You open your mind and open yourself up to engage more deeply with what you're working on, trust your instincts, and insert more of your perspective and your direction in it versus always needing it to come from other people, from your manager, from whoever else is involved. I think it's sort of a a way of being that you can bring into the core of your job responsibilities.
0: Absolutely. I think that's part of carving your own path. You know, speak up speak up, give your opinion, give your ideas, come with fresh ideas. And if you're looking for validation, you may never get it. And so I think it's really important to continue to try even if you always get told no, maybe that 10th idea. That's why I love that podcast. How I built this the Dyson guy. It was like the 400th something prototype was the one that worked, you know, and he's like, how did you have the motivation to keep going after the, you know, the 50th one didn't work. And so even though you may get told, no keep trying and keep asking and ask somebody different. And the person that keeps telling, you "No," might not be there in two years. You know, the new person that takes their place might think all your ideas you have are the greatest things since sliced bread. So I'd say just keep going, keep documenting that you um, are trying and keep putting yourself out there. If anything, it's practice and people are usually watching, you know, it might not be the best timing or there might be something you don't know. The company can't afford to do the thing or whatever it is. Um, usually managers, you know, they're thinking about, you're thinking about the one siloed project and they're thinking about so many other things. Okay, well, if we do that, then IT has to do this and this has to do this. And the racking up, you know, that's probably, you brought it, it's $20,000, but really that's like a $500,000 project. So there's stuff that you don't know, you know. So get feedback also when you're told no. Okay, well, why not? Is there stuff I don't know that I should know? What else can I be thinking about? So when I have an idea like this, what are other factors? Who else on the team or in the organization could I collaborate with for these types of ideas that would know stuff like that? So I don't have to bother you, decision maker, who's busy. You know, so just be really smart and show that initiative and you might get tapped for something else that they're working on that you didn't know about. That's not a new idea, but they're like, oh, that person should definitely lead the project because they are showing initiative that they want to do more. I tr- they sh- obviously trust. It takes a lot to present yourself like that. They obviously trust themselves. They trust that they had a chance. I mean, that's, I think it just says a lot about you and your character and your work ethic to do something like that.
1: I agree. It's sort of your name is on their mind when a new type of project or something big pops up because they've seen that engagement. And it's so important to not overly focus on the outcome and understand that in the process of bringing forth suggestions, you're growing your confidence and you're showing people how you engage, how you work there. It's not just about them approving your idea, it's about them seeing another side of you that they might not be seeing through your regular course of work.
0: Right. It's building others' confidence in you as well.
1: Yep. Yeah, for sure. And going back to the core topic of confidence, one thing that I am so excited to get your thoughts on are different ways to look at confidence so that we can find new paths to building confidence. Because I think there are a lot of paths in, in a lot of doorways into confidence. One of which for me that I love talking about and exploring is playfulness. And I wanted to get your thoughts On playfulness, maybe from personal experience, maybe from coaching. And how does playfulness relate to building confidence?
0: So, I call this chasing joy. So, if you look at my social media or my website, I talk about chasing joy a lot. So, we were born, you know, think about when you're like a little kid, right? When you're a little kid, you are—you can do anything. You play, you color, you draw, you have imaginary friends, you're building forts, you're using your imagination, you're in this state of play all the time. And then you're kind of forcing that to the education system so that you can be a really great employee between the ages of 18 and 22 or 21. So we're born with this state of play. It's like this innate thing that's in us. And so it's conditioned out of us. So I think that when we chase joy, we get back into that alignment with that playful state. So for me, if I'm in my office right now, I have so many ways I can do that throughout the work day. So behind me, I have crayons or colored pencils and like a coloring book. I love to color. It's so meditative. I'll listen to like some jazz and just color a page So calming, so relaxing, decreases anxiety. There's science behind it. And then in front of me, I have a a painting station so I can break out my like painting stuff that I do. And I have it all set up there. I watch the home edit on Netflix. You guys need to turn that on. The home edit on Netflix will get you all organized. So I got a little art cart as they call it. And I have all my brogy bibbed, all my paints. And that sparks joy for me when I look at it. Another book that I recommend as an aside to that is The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. And it's like just finding ways to little things throughout the day and throughout your house, like make you happy. It's those little things that add up. Highly recommend that book. Um, In any sense, I have all these things or my vision board up here. I have all these things around me that remind me to do what feels good and do what's relaxing and calming. And when I'm in that state, I just feel really good. The more you feel good when feeling good is your baseline, the more confident that you are because you're just less stressed. Wish I knew the science behind all this. I'm sure it's out there. But when you look good, you feel good. When you feel good, you do more. You know, just coming back to things that make you happy. You know, what is play? I find this a lot with clients. What do you do for fun? And it's like, TV is not the thing that you do for fun. TV is the thing that you do to let, give your brain a break, you know, to quote unquote unwind, but it's not play. So what is that? It's a cookie. Like, so for me, it may be cooking. I love a good cookbook. I love a good cookbook and a good recipe. I love to create and do art, things of color, web design I'm super into right now. So anything that sparks my creativity allows me to go when i paint something that's like really cool i'm like oh my god i'm like kind of impressed with myself since i'm not really an artist i just do this for fun or like when i make a good meal and my husband thinks it's the best thing he's ever had that instantly builds confidence you know you're like i don't know i put too much salt in it and he's like oh my god this is amazing best thing i ever had make it again next week that builds your confidence you know i think it just lowers your it's like horizontal i don't know it lowers you know the thing in you that has anxiety that makes you anxious and brings you to a calm state. And so I'm a big advocate for chasing joy and defining play. So just like defining vulnerability, what does play mean for the mom? It's going to look different for the mom of three kids who works full time and sits on the PTA than it does for, you know, the 24 year old who has more free time and has no kids and, you know, just doesn't in two dogs or whatever it is. So I say step one, what are your hobbies? Define what play is and then commit to to doing things that are playful and chasing joy. So if that's like, I mean, this is cheap. 20 bucks on Amazon. Um, and I know cheap is relative, but for the most part, 20 bucks on Amazon, get some color pencils and a coloring book and put it on your desk, you know, and remind yourself that you're playful and creative. It's so fun. Like, what's the best color that I should paint this thing? You know, it brings you back to when you're five. Or do you like to paint? is it music? Have you always wanted to teach yourself piano or guitar? Or you want to get into making food? Or you're like, I have all this knitting stuff. And all I have to do is buy the whatever thing so I can be knitting. And it's like driving you crazy. That's play. You know, it's like it usually doesn't involve your cell phone or computer or some type of technology. But define what play is and then commit to using that as a way to chase joy. I feel strongly about that.
1: I totally agree with that. And It reminds me of being in elementary school when the clock would strike for recess. And I remember the feeling, not even of being on the yard, but of running to the yard. So like it's now recess and there's like this surge of joy. And for me, that like that's how I know it's true play because Mm -hmm. I'm re-experiencing that state of like the clock just strikes like 11 a.m. And now we get like 30 minutes to like run around like maniacs. I love that.
0: Yes. I love that. You just said, that's how I know it's true play. You don't get that feeling when you go like turn on, what did we do the other night? It was completely ridiculous. You know, that third episode of house hunters, no. you know, you just don't get that feeling as if you were to go do something that lights you, like you even sound lit up when you said it, you know, just remembering that. So yeah, defy, remember what that thing was and go do more of that.
1: Well, I love that too, because I think it's a sense of aliveness. And I think that this is so important because I I think also when we're getting over our fears and making brave choices in our careers and, you know, for the women who listen to this show, like at work, I think sometimes those choices are also bringing us towards a sense of aliveness and While they may be different than play, I think there's a part of us that really wants to experience the fullest of what life is and play really gets you there. And then I also think there is an element of facing your fears and really listening to what you're feeling called to do, even if it feels challenging, that brings you again to that point of you're not just like on repeat watching the next thing on Netflix or like on repeat walking into your job, but you're really bringing just a sense of like everything that you are all to the table and a deep engagement. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for in their professional lives. And I think it does require you to face your fears and to maybe show up with a bit more boldness than you might be used to.
0: I think that's so interesting because I could dive so deep into that. It's like chasing joy is scary. Being playful is fearful. Like, when did that start?
1: Well, I see a connection. I think that joy and play isn't fearful. But I see in the Venn diagram of fear and joy where they intersect. The intersection is aliveness. So joy brings us into this sense of ourselves, like our true selves. And I think sometimes if we want to also have that sense of being connected to our true selves professionally, we have to do something scary to get there but we're doing that scary thing because we feel called to something greater and the thing that we're feeling called to is going to bring us a sense of aliveness in the same way that play brings us that sense of aliveness and so i think like i think you can have a wonderful life just like playing all the time and feeling aliveness that way and i'm totally an advocate for that but i also think so many people feel called to expand and grow And that there's an aliveness that comes from that stretching. And that is unlike play, that is deeply uncomfortable. But it brings you back to your humanity in the same way that play does. Because there's this part of you that's like, oh, I do want to grow. I do. I do want to challenge myself to do the scary thing so I can have the human experience of what it was like to show up for that and then be on the other side of it and then be able to say like, wow, I did that thing.
0: Yes, yes, to all of that. I find that people are afraid to have fun. People are afraid to pursue their calling. And I really want to know what the start of that is. Right? So when I think about, I love that we're talking about being a little kid. When you think about a little kid, I think about my friend, my friend's daughter. Um, Everybody's going back to school recently. And she had some like very funny outfit on that like made no sense, but she was living her, this little girl was so cute. She was living her best life. And this like, I want to say it was like rain boots and like a unicorn top and like a purple, you know, shiny headband. Like she just looked so funny. Like adults would know, like she definitely dressed herself, but she was so happy. She exuded joy in this photo and you're allowed to do that when you're little, right? It's cute and it's entertaining and, and she's definitely chasing joy. And then something happens, right? Where you have to like, you have this awareness that you may not fit in, or you have this awareness that you have to do things a certain way to progress. And it's like, man, I don't want to lose the spirit of, you know, what her daughter, I love following her on on social media because I don't ever want to lose that spirit, you know, at my core. But for whatever reason, it feels scary if you were to say, you know what? I know I'm getting on video with Rayla and I'm supposed to look professional, but I am going to put on some purple lipstick and some blue sparkly eyeshadow and do my hair up in pigtails and like wear a bathing suit top. Cause that's what feels good. Right. But that would be so wild for you to do. I mean, that's just a very like on the surface example, but it's just like, man, if that makes you feel good, why not do it? Why not chase more of whatever it is that makes you feel good? Whether that's like, girl, I'm about to dye my hair rolls gold. I swear to God, I am. I have the thing in the bathroom. I'm doing that this weekend. I'm about to dye my hair rolls gold. You know, if that's dyeing your hair, getting a tattoo, piercing your nose, getting some funky outfits, you know, painting your room black, you know, I don't know. What does that look like? Do something quote unquote crazy. I just think it's so funny, right? Because those little things are so scary and wild and crazy when we're like supposed to be responsible adults. But it's like, Man, what if we were all just like doing what felt good to feel alive? Like, I love how you describe that. What do you need to go do to feel alive?
1: Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's just, you know, I think when you do those little things, even though you're saying like, oh, it's a surface level example, it unleashes an energy inside of you. And there's a butterfly effect from that. So when you dye your hair, yes, okay, it's just dyeing your hair, but then you might feel different and then you might act different. And I think it's really important to pay attention to those things, especially for someone on a journey of building confidence. It's those little things that are going to create these shifts in your state and how you are in the world. And it's going to open up new behaviors, new possibilities. And so I think it is actually sometimes these little things that can be really important to look at for the start. And what I love most about what you're saying, too, is that energy of playfulness can really help you get out of a rut and really help you get a little bit unstuck if you're struggling with confidence um, and like kind of spinning at work a little bit. It's sort of like, what would the wild, rebellious, brave, crazy, fun part of me do in this situation? And there is so much wisdom in there.
0: Yes. I heard Tracy McMillan speak at a um, – she's a writer – She's also one to follow um, on Instagram. She has nuggets that she drops often. I heard her speak at um, a conference and she was talking about wearing her hair natural. And so I'm in Florida and she, I believe, lives in California. And she was like, you know, I'm not ready to go, but my hair is. And she was making a joke about her like big curly hair, which is gorgeous. And, um, she was talking about just being authentic and she was talking about her, her hair journey a little bit in that. And somebody asked a question about being able to wear your hair natural, but how will it be perceived at work? And at the time, I don't, I don't think at the time I was wearing my hair natural. So I more my hair natural as in like, it's just in a fro, like I literally woke up like this, um, since 2016. And I was like, you know, everyone's just like looking because you're like, what does her hair look like, right? Is what you're (laughs) turning to look at. And, you know, she was like, well, what are you supposed to do when in corporate America you're supposed to look very polished and professional? And I think Tracy McMillan's response is like, you know, polished and professional is relative. You have to do what feels good to you. And what that's going to do is it's a bit of vulnerability, right? And it takes a bit of confidence to be like, this is what I naturally look like, you know, and I and it looks different than what you recognize me as. And then, you know, people ask questions or whatever, but that builds confidence that guess what? Your job is going to be the same. Like, you're going to do the same great work, whether your hair is natural or not. <laughs> you're going to have the same coworker friends. It's just going to build confidence in you that like, oh yeah, my job is still the same. I can just show up better because I feel like I'm being more authentic to who I am. It's a more confident me inside and out. And so I love that example, especially as we're talking about, you know, how do you show up? Can you dye your hair purple and still be in corporate? It's like a big faux pas. I think we're like coming around in the corporate space. But I think you can. I think you just have to be really good at what you do. I do think that. I do think you have to be, like, really good at what you do if you're going to, like, rock purple hair. Or, like, I feel like I have to be really a really good coach if I'm going to show up with pink hair. I mean, maybe that's just me. People have different opinions. <laughs> but if it's possible that you're going to be distracting it all on your parents, I think you have to be, like, that awesome in your job. Um, I also, I'm giving you all these people to follow on social media, um, but I think that they're great people who kind of exude some of the things we're talking about. Bozama St. John, she is a very well-known CMO. She's worked for Uber Endeavor, and Devor. I want to say she's the new CMO of Peloton, but she really talks about, you know, showing up authentically and a lot of it has to do with appearance. She has long red nails and big hair and wears bright colors. And she's like, but I'm really good at my job. So I can rock this. Um, I can rock this on this stage of this conference um, with a bunch of, you know, white males in suits or whatever it is. And so she's awesome. But I really do. I think whatever that looks like for you, whether it's purple hair or, or the quote unquote little thing, I think it's actually my point of all that was the little hair change that you think of like just wearing your hair natural in the workplace is a huge change. It's a significant, huge change because you look at yourself differently And you're able to filter out your own feelings of how other people look at you differently. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that showing up as authentic as you can, as playful, you know, which is being playful, is one of the biggest confidence builders that you can have
1: yeah I agree. I hope we get to a point too where you can just wear what you want and look how you want without having to be compensate for performance. like that would be ideal. It's like so subjective. Like, why is pink bad? You know, like pink is bad. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think all of that needs to go away. But there is so much power, I think, in looking at yourself and what makes you come home to yourself, you know, yeah. yes what brings you there and acknowledging that. And even if it's a little thing, it's really not a little thing. It's not a little thing for you. It's not for me. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, Okay. Before we hop sections, tell us what it is like to work with you and where listeners can get in touch.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to talk about what I do. So, I like to think that the experience working with me is a lot of fun. My goal is to make coaching a really fun experience. So, for example, you know, my site, RaylaBailey.com, it's bright and light. I'm in a sundress on my site, you know, but I'm talking about executive coaching, which traditionally is kind of stuffy, if you will. And so I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. This can be like fun. So I take my clients through my methodology called the Bailey blueprint, where we will use architecting your life as a metaphor. So first we draft your blueprint. Step one, I guide you through my signature vision casting process to help you get clarity on what you want, whether that's a corner office, a nomad lifestyle, or a total career pivot. We'll set clear, measurable goals that will help you bring that vision to life. And then we'll develop a strategic action plan so that you have a step-by-step guide to reach those goals. Then the second phase of that is laying your foundation. So once you have clarity, we'll gather all the materials. So in other words, we'll make sure that you're equipped with the skills, relationships, and experience necessary to carry out your plan. And if not, we'll make sure you develop those skills so that you're ready to go. And then lastly, phase three and the final phase is building your house, which I think is the really fun part. I nerd out on coaching. So once we have a clear, measurable goals and a strategic plan, it's time to implement. We continue to meet as you execute your plan, making adjustments along the way and continuing to develop the tools that you need to excel. And then, you know, this is a coaching relationship. So it's us working together. We will address any roadblocks that get in your way, imposter syndrome, inner critic, self-doubt, a lot of the stuff we discussed already. You now have a confident guide and cheerleader who's dedicated to ensuring you succeed in living the life you envision.
1: Awesome. And I'll link below your website. And before I get into the closing questions, is there anything on the theme of confidence that you wish I had asked about or that you'd want to touch on? One thing that
0: I'll add is... You know, life happens and the things that people are going through are real. You know, building confidence seems to me, I guess, easy and very, right? It's like, do these things, build more confidence. You have momentum and you build off of that. But really, people have like life going on. People have children and elderly parents and financial situations that arise and health that declines and moves that happen and unexpected things that happen and just life happens. Right. And so I want to encourage people to give themselves grace in their pursuit of being a confident person. I think that it's easy to, you know, I listed, for example, Bozama, if you look at her, it's just like, well, what the heck is wrong with me that I can't, you know, command a room like that, you know, and that's just, that's one of her gifts. So I'd say, you know, be aware of what your gifts are and give yourself some, some grace and some patience and your pursuit of building confidence. And I don't want to say have blinders on because it's nice to be inspired by people like that, but just know, you know, what you're capable of. And like you said, with listening to your intuition and building confidence, it's, it's a process and it takes time. So just be patient with yourself. Um, and the first time that you put yourself out there and speak up and it gets shot down don't give up or stop there. It's, you know, then you're like, yep, see, I knew I shouldn't have done the thing. I knew I shouldn't have spoke up at the meeting or brought my idea. But you just have to keep practicing. But I just want to encourage people to give themselves some grace around the process.
1: I love that we need so many more messages out there that are kind and gentle. Like, yes, we all want to do well. And it's so wonderful to have that ambition. And we also need to normalize the fact that things are going to be hard. Not every day is going to be a hundred percent. And I think it's freeing and so healthy to keep reminding ourselves of that. And now for the closing questions, we have four today. The first one is what is one little thing someone can do today to help further their career? Get crystal clear on what you want. Mm, Simple, but not easy. You're right. (laughs) And Can you share a moment in your life where you surprised yourself with your own confidence? Yes. So I founded a women's organization, a women's networking organization here.
0: It's local to Tampa Bay. And um, I was hosting the first uh, social. It was going to be like an annual social. And I was seeking sponsorships from my employer and from, from other businesses, and individuals, and I created a sponsorship packet that a friend of mine helped me with. And you know, it's my child. You know, it's my baby. This this organization. And so I went in with a sponsorship packet to HR. It'd be like the person that I talked to. And this packet was so it's it's hilarious in hindsight, but my ask was so ridiculous. Like it was so. <laughs> <laughs> it's <was> just like. <laughs> It was just, it, I, I was asking for too much. And I think it's comical. You know, most people ask for, you know, it's always like raise your prices. I, I do not have that problem. So I remember going back, not back and forth, but kind of like a little bit of like negotiating with them and they waited until they had hired like somebody else in role that would be kind of handling that type of stuff. Like I shouldn't be talking to like the head of HR about this. So we kind of are negotiating ahead of HR. And he goes, okay, well, let me think about it. Let's, you know, this, this, and this, we're negotiating. And I bring back a second packet that is way more reasonable, like a completely. And I remember when I gave it to him, he flipped through it. And he was like, oh, yeah, okay, this. Because <laughs> he didn't tell me. He didn't say, this is completely absurd and insane. You need to go back to the drawing board. No one's going to give you this. And he, if he would have been totally right, if he had said that. And I remember him opening that second one and going, okay, yeah, this is way more reasonable. And he wasn't saying it to me. He was just saying it to himself, like as he was looking through. And that's a funny moment. And so I remember working with that next person that they had hired and like talking about that. And I was like, yeah, we want to help you, but like, you know, Let's be like, help us help you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that reminded me of like Dr. Evil, like $1 million, $1 million.
0: <laughs> it, was,
1: it was like that. I mean, it was on that. It
0: was ridiculous. I can be like, convert, like as confident as I am. But I didn't know. It was like my first time. And I, you know, I had a kind of a budget and some goals that I was trying to reach. And I wouldn't say... I don't ever think anyone's being really like too ambitious. It was just not realistic. And like organizations don't have that for the type of thing that I was hosting, you know, just not, it's just doesn't happen. So in any sense, I just had to revise and revise it and revise it. But that was, that was a learning moment. And just in hindsight, one of those things that was like, what was I do- like, what was I doing? Like what? You know, I think I think that was ego, right? I think I was like testing them maybe or I testing myself. I don't even know. I really have no good explanation for it, but don't do that.
1: <laughs> we have to have grace with ourselves when we do something for the first time and we're wildly off. <laughs> yes.
0: <Yeah. laughs> yes, that is exactly how I describe that.
1: And poking fun. I really try to poke fun at myself when I do ridiculous things. (laughs) So for the second to last of the closing questions is about the title of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. And I love to ask every guest what The Art of Speaking Up means to them.
0: I would say knowing what you want and asking for it. Um, You don't get if you don't ask. And you can't ask if you don't know what you're asking for. So do the work to get clear, confident, and fearless. And then go make money moves.
1: Oh, I love that. And for the final question, this question was inspired by the same thing that inspired the show, which is I had this time in my career where I was not feeling confident and I was struggling and I didn't have a pod, I didn't have a podcast to listen to or a mentor or- much support through that time. And so I always leave this space for the guests to speak to anyone who's maybe having a tough time or just wanting to feel more powerful in their career. So I'll just toss it to you to share whatever is on your heart that you would want someone listening to take with them. So thank you for
0: allowing me to speak into your audience. So I would say that you were born worthy. You don't need another resource, book, class, course, group, conference. You are enough and you are equipped right now with your education, experience, and wisdom to make a significant impact. You don't need anything else. So write down your credibility like we discussed earlier and take a look at it. And I hope you read it and think, yeah, I'm the shit. I can do anything. You are worthy of chasing joy and pursuing your dreams. So if you have literally nobody else telling you this, I am here to tell you that you deserve to fulfill your big dreams and you were born worthy of having it. So my challenge to you is to go start chasing joy.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Rayla. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Wasn't this a fun one? Don't you have like such feel good vibes after I finished editing through the conversation with her. I just felt like expanded and open and relaxed. And I hope that you feel that way too. I'm going to link Rayla's website below in case you want to go stalk her online, which you probably do. And if you want to stalk me online, I'll also link my new-ish coaching website where you can learn more about working with me one-on-one. I'm so happy to have you tuning in today. Thank you so, so, so much for supporting the show. It means so much to me. If you've been enjoying the show, tell me, (laughs) please tell me. The show is my baby. It's my creative baby. I feel like every week I give birth an episode which sounds weird but that's sometimes how it feels and so you know when i hear from you it it truly means so much to me so please feel free to send me a dm on instagram my handle is the art of speaking up please feel free to drop me a review for the show those mean so much as well this really is my artistic creation <laughs> and i'm a bit of a sensitive artist and As sensitive artists, feedback helps us keep going It helps us feel seen in the world. And I really appreciate when I get that from you. I hope you're doing amazing and having the most wonderful, magical start to the year. Let's hope that this is the year that things change and open up and a new kind of joy comes into all of our lives. That's what I'm hoping for. All right. I hope you're doing well. I'm going to sign off. I've got a solo episode coming next week. Oh, and come join me in the free Facebook group. Don't forget to join the free Facebook group if you want to catch some of the content and free trainings that I'm going to be putting in there next month all around feeling confident, speaking in meetings, leading in meetings, managing stage fright all things that I have dealt with that I would love to help you with because if you can start feeling less stressed about meetings, your quality of life will get so much higher and it will of course obviously benefit your career in really significant ways. So I will link the Facebook group below. Feel free to pop in there to hear some of what I'm going to be sharing on meetings and confidence and all of those amazing topics and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye!